little response there for Goran Dragic. Nick Nurse said before the game, he goes, I'm not sure if there's going to be much of one, but if there is, I can't imagine it's going to be really good. No. We'll see what happens when he touches the orange. Kind of figured that might happen. <laughs> uh, uh one question and one question only. Uh, your best point guard who's played an average of 40, 43 minutes a game goes down. Who's the guy you call on? Well, given the previous 15 to 20 games and the rotations that Nick Nurse was playing, you would imagine that Delono Banton would probably be his first to go to option. Yeah, Banton, maybe you do the kind of rotation where Gary Trent plays point guard on defense and, you know, either Scotty Barnes or Point Pascal play point guard going the other way. Um, right. What you wouldn't expect is Operation Malachi Flynn to come into full effect. You know, the guy who, as we talked about just before the trade deadline, took one of the most disgruntled threes and bricked it that we have ever seen, I think, uh, in the franchise, just suddenly plays pretty much 80 minutes over two wins against the Brooklyn Nets. And suddenly from absolutely nothing, Malachi Flynn has come back in the rotation. I mean, it's obviously good for the Raptors. And it's interesting that it happened just days, of course, or weeks after the Goran Dragic trade. Not that he was right. playing too much anyway. Right. But it, I, think, I think we should go straight into it and discuss Malachi Flynn's performance in those two Brooklyn games. The funny thing is, I mean, as you heard just before the episode, those boos that Dragic got coming back to Toronto yeah. show, you know, the rivalry that has always been there between these two teams. But, you know, someone like Goran has actively resumed with his, with his conduct. And um, the court of Malachi against Goran matchup there was, was pretty good. But what did, you, what did you think of those two Brooklyn wins overall? Just... I mean, of course, Malachi was was great. I mean, he got plus forty two on the floor in that first win. But over the over the two games, what 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 did they show? What did it show? Well, I think it said a lot about the Brooklyn Nets. It said more about the Brooklyn Nets than it did about the Raptors. Now, Camille, why so? One issue Brooklyn will have against every single team, and why I think we're in in particular such a bad matchup for them. Their forward position. They have probably the oldest forwards, bar maybe the LA Lakers in the whole of the league. You had the likes of the immobile James Johnson playing the stretch four slash centre. You had Andre Drummond in the first game, who's pretty much a statue at this point. You have somebody like Blake Griffin, who, although he still retains some of his athleticism, he was never a high IQ defensive player and he was never that effective on that side of the floor anyway. Um, you have probably the best defender out of the bunch, Nick Claxton, but he wasn't asked to be playing, you know, um, the five. He was, again, kind of playing like the forward position. But basically, you just have a lot of forwards who can't really defend. And combined with that, you have a bunch of guards who are incredibly undersized and, again, who match up really poorly against our quite overgrown and oversized guard, guards that we have, like the likes of Banton. Um, you have, of course, Seth Curry now, who's come from uh, Philadelphia, but you have Bruce Brown, you have Cam Thomas, Kyrie. Well, Kyrie wasn't playing in these games, but Kyrie, interesting enough, he's actually the tallest out of these bunch of guards. 
Then you have Patty Mills. Forgetting Ben Simmons, of course. Sorry? Forgetting Ben Simmons, right? Right, right. So, of course, Ben Simmons will be massive, absolutely massive for them when he comes back. But in these games, you saw... It was just like a gaping hole. They played. They decided to play the two-three slash three-two zone against us in the second game, and we were just killing them with corner threes and baseline cuts and finding wide-open dunks. Like it just looked absolutely horrendous. I'm really disappointed. We only scored 109 points that second game because the way they were defending, it should have been 120 minimum because they looked horrible, like absolutely horrible. So. Yes, we were quite clinical. I think we took advantage of their weaknesses, but the fact that they had to, they felt like they had to switch to the zone after that first game and it still looked horrendous. Like they had no answers. And uh, I love the way Siakam and Barnes played. They would basically just, as soon as the ball gets, got swung to them, they would cut towards the basket. They would beat their, the, the, they would beat their defender on the first step because Either it was the undersized guards who would they just bully past, or it'd be one of these slow forwards uh, like Lamarcus Aldridge, get past them and then kick out into the corner, open three. Time and time and time and time again. It was just like the easiest formula in the world, and they had no answer to it. So I love that we were so clinical. We didn't take our foot off the gas. And yeah, that second game, we really should have won by more than we did. But in all fairness, Seth Curry in that fourth quarter, he was making some really difficult shots to keep them in it. So I had to take, you know, sort of uh, some miraculous shot making in order to keep them in the game. Yeah, and it's an interesting one. After that first game in which, I mean, he was pretty lucky it was in Brooklyn, but Dragic played horribly in that first game. Yeah, He was actually their highest plus minus on the during his 15 minutes. And yet, in the fourth quarter, of course, Steve Nash was isolating, I believe. And the assistant coach, uh, his name escapes me, but he decided to play Paddy Mills over him, um, which was a strange decision uh, in that fourth quarter. I know, you know, there's something he, uh, he bricked a couple of free throws, of course, um, again in, in Toronto. And the crowd was having a lot of fun booing him. But surely in that fourth quarter, you play your experienced guy, right? That's why... You've got the likes of him, Blake, LaMarcus. You know, they've done it all before and they can handle that kind of pressure. Could you not say the same about Patty Mills? He was in a San Antonio system where he, he's probably been... He's had probably had like more playoff experience than somebody like Dragic. True, but he just wasn't as good in this game. Um, yeah, he was really cool in this game, wasn't he? Yeah, Dragic launched the Brooklyn... Well, there was a mini Brooklyn comeback in like mid-second mid to mid-third quarter where they outscored the Raptors pretty handily. But... Then they just benched him for the fourth. And that was a strange decision and criticised by a lot of Nets fans. Mm. Um, but I think you're right. Focusing on the Raptors, Siakam and Barnes in both those games kind of combined for 10 assists. But it's also the pre-assists as well, you know. Um, they would dish it, for example, to Flynn or Gary Trent Jr., who got eight and seven assists apiece, who would then get kick it out, right? So, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. you, the, those hockey assists don't necessarily even show up on the yeah, box. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's as well. completely right. That's completely right. Um, but yes, yeah, Scotty Barnes, of course. Uh, I'd love to chat about him. He got Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month award um, and fully deserved. I mean, he's been on a tear, I think. I think, sadly, the absence of OG and Van Vliet has helped him, you know, just for obvious reasons, right? He goes from the fourth option on the team to the second or third. Yeah. And But I think overall, his game is just developing, just naturally, just as he goes forward with this Raptors team. 
Yeah, the maybe the only poor performance we saw from him last month was uh, in that little skills challenge that they had at the uh, NBA All-Star um, weekend. But, um, of course, I'm talking about when he missed, like, 17 baby hooks. Like, it, it was just... Uh, quite upsetting to see. Usually that's the kind of shot he loves. Like any, anything in and around the basket, he usually has some quite clever finishes. But yeah, in that first Brooklyn game, he was 12 of 14 from the floor. Just incredibly efficient. He had 16 rebounds, which is just ridiculous. Um, and really, we were, in that first game especially, like we were forcing so many turnovers. Like the Barnes had, had um, five steals, but... There was like just two or three of them. I just remember he just kind of picked picked the pocket of the ball handler as uh, as soon as the Brooklyn as soon as Brooklyn like inbounded the ball. Just really really sloppy turnovers, but it kind of showed how um, you know how alert Scotty Barnes was. That's the way he kind of defended in college. He would hound the ball handler all the way out the floor. You'd you'd often get steals as they were you know even in, on their side of the court. Um, just harassing them. So, yeah, it was an absolutely spectacular performance, especially in that first game against the Nets. And yeah, completely right, Kamel. This is kind of what we saw from him in the early parts of the season where we had some of the other more, you know, ball-dominant guys out. Um, and now, yeah, he was pretty much the secondary playmaker, him and Siakam, uh, like you said. So, it seems like what, what would uh, be quite disappointing from us is uh, if we weren't if we weren't to allow him in future seasons to have more of this kind of a role... Because clearly he's more effective when he has the ball in his hands more. Because he's he's so he's so effective at playmaking as well. And I don't want to see this role diminish once we get the likes of OG and Fred VanVleet back. But inevitably it will happen. Yeah, yeah. And then that's why some discussions over potentially trading one of the more valuable wings has come into play. But of course you can't you can't do that from a front office point of view for the sake of a rookie. So. I think we just have to wait and see in that aspect and see how Nick Nurse deals with that. And Scotty Barnes, I mean, Scotty Barnes, even if he is fourth or fifth, fifth option, can he take all his chances? That's, but, but, but what that's a fourth or fifth option to have, right, Camille? Hey, exactly. I mean, you're not complaining, are you? No. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, moving back onto that first win, I mean, just uh, we've already mentioned Malachi Flynn going plus 42 on the field. I mean, a fantastic performance from him in both games. And even in recent losses, he's been great. We'll move on to them a little bit later. Uh, particularly impressed with Precious Achua off the bench, plus 25 off the floor, 20 points, 8 to 14 from the field, and three triples. Uh, he's really developing his game yeah. uh, coming forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you think about it, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, essentially you, you gave away Kyle Lowry, who was going to walk for free, and then you've got Precious Achua and Tadeus Young. So, I mean, it's, it's not half bad. And, and Tadeus, I've got to give him another shout-out. Uh, in that tight win, 11 points. He came off the bench, two triples and two dagger triples as well. You know, you look at the box yeah. score and it doesn't look great, but those two are so important. And then, of course, stuffing the stat sheet as usual, three rebounds and a couple of assists. So I'm very sort of happy with how this team is rounding out. But there has been some concern, of course. I mean, after those two jubilant wins against Brooklyn, you then had home games against Detroit and Orlando, right? The two teams of the worst records in the NBA. Yeah. And you can guess what happened. I mean, Detroit, Ugh. Detroit, we can skip over because we know what will happen against Detroit every time. <laughs> but I it's, it's the Orlando... forgot about this conspiracy. Yeah, you mentioned it in a previous episode. Yeah, but it's the Orlando one I'm more worried about 
you know, why do you <laughs> struggle to score 100? You, you really are investing in this Detroit narrative, aren't you? It's, we, it, we're always I, coming to this game. Like, you would have been more surprised if we'd won this game. Yeah, well, you look at it. Detroit this season lost 127, 121, lost 183, 87, and then lost 108, 106. And uh, I know Detroit are slightly improving. You know, Cade's really coming into his own. Yeah, yeah. But it's just not, I mean, that's just not acceptable, is it? By any, by any, <laughs> by any metric. Well, I don't know how they have this record, 16 or 47. They look, they look like a solid NBA team in that game. Honestly, five or six, like solid, solid guys. I mean, Sadiq Bey probably, again, is one of those players like Cade who's improved as the season has gone on, as you kind of would expect in his sophomore season. Um, he had 23 points and he's not, he's not normally you know, scoring um, 15 plus points a game. So he, he probably outperformed uh, what, he, what he normally does. Cade looked awesome, um, even though he was third in scoring for this Detroit team. Cade Cunningham, like they, he killed us all night. Um, that his facilitating, he was just too quick on the first step, and uh, which meant that yeah, he was able to then find open players. But Isaiah Stewart, in fact, he was really problematic for us because we had to like. Again, it's the big situation. We had to just clog the paint whenever he was there because he's such a strong physical player. I don't know if you noticed it in this game, Kamal, but we would basically just have to have two or three guys on him whenever he did get the ball, like in a deep post position. And then that just led to, again, more open three-point shots. Um, but yeah, they look solid. Grant, Bay, Cunningham, you have Kelly Olenek coming off the bench. Corey Zo- Joseph, we kind of... He's more of a backup point guard, to be honest. He probably wouldn't be starting for like a uh, playoff um, NBA team. But you know, we know what Corey Joseph brings. He's just a solid, solid like point guard. Um, not nothing too flashy, nothing too special. And he had five points. But yeah, he's not also he's not the type to turn the ball over four or five times. And indeed, he didn't turn the ball over at all this game. So yeah, he's he's sort of what you want Malachi Flynn to develop into, pretty much. Yeah, just yeah, pretty much. Flashy, pretty much. not not really flashy, just a functional point guard, really. Um, but yeah, I mean that game. You're right. Uh, it was the kind of risk Nick Nurse took to see if a team which can't win essentially could hit all their threes, and it was tight in the end. But you know, end of the day. I, I, I am buying into the narrative. I don't think we'll ever... I think there was a curse, right? After you fire a coach and watch him pick up Coach of the Year award. Right. And then surely you're destined to lose the majority of the games against said coach for the rest of your rest of your time. That's the, for the, rest that's of the price. Existence. Yeah. It's the price that the Raptors paid for the ring <laughs> in 2019. So it happens, it happens, but... But I'm serious. I'm more worried about this Orlando loss because in that game, you score 97 points against an Orlando team at home and you just look clueless. I mean, Gary Trent Jr. scored four in that game. Malachi was actually okay. He dropped 20. But you don't have Gary. So essentially, you can discount Gary Trent. You discount Van Vliet's efforts and you discount OG's efforts. And the team just looks absolutely abysmal. And we've talked about this before in terms of having the next man up philosophy and the bench potentially stepping up. But again, that just didn't happen this game. There was no production from the bench. So it's, it's, I don't know if it's that worrying because if you, in this league, if you beat the big lads, 
beat the big teams and then maybe pick up a couple of schedule losses against the smaller teams, it's sort of fine because, you know, that bodes well for playoffs. But just the offensive production from some of these players when they're off form just doesn't add up and can lead to absolute stinkers like this. Yeah, yeah, Camille. Um, well, two points here. Just on the Pistons game, I was going to say, our yeah. biggest problem that game is, our, we've said it all year, but our defensive strategy is a high-risk, high-reward. And in that Pistons game, you, honestly, we didn't know. Like we, It looked like we just couldn't stop them in the half-court. So we would constantly gamble the whole game. And we shouldn't be that desperate defensively against the likes of Detroit. They're not the best offensive team in the league. And we just looked out like we were out of ideas. And this is on, on the end, we would expect to be the strongest, the defensive end, especially with Van Vliet out. So that's, that's why I actually find the Detroit game more worrying. I was like, we should be killing them. We should, they should not be scoring over 100 points. Um, and yeah, they kind of slowed down, to be honest, Detroit. They, they were like 10, 15 points up for most of the game. And they probably should have come out and gone out to like 120 points. But we had a really good fourth quarter. Against the Magic, you're absolutely right. It's against the Magic team. Again, they're just not very good defensively. They don't have a lot of good uh, defensive tools. I mean, uh, you've got Wagner, like, who's, okay, he's more of an offensive-orientated rookie. You, okay, you have you had Mo Bamba in the centre position, but Mo Bamba has been... He has not lived up to, like, expectations at all after, his, after the draft. In fact, it looked like he probably would like be one of the guys who'd be up for, you know, um, uh, being traded maybe at the deadline, but that's certainly towards the end of the season because he has not developed at all. And yeah, this is just not a team you'd expect to, they haven't been locking anyone down all season. So it was extremely worrying. Um, shooting less than 40% from the field, 32% from three. And this is probably a big factor that did swing things. They were 20 of 21 from the three throw line. So they were 95% from the free throw line, whereas we were 11 of 17 and 64%. So that's, that's been a trend through the whole season, yeah. I think. It's yeah. poor free throw shooting. Yeah. And so if we match even the three throws, this looks like it's going to be a tight game. Um, but yeah, we, what, 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 why do you think we struggled so much on the offensive end of this game? I think, obviously, someone like Gary Trent is streaky. You've got the two positives here in Malachi Flynn and Siakam, who, of course, can hold their heads high. Ken Birch is someone who really is starting to worry me. I know when he was missing, we were extremely worried about, you know, the lack of vet presence, you know, a decent big man who can handle most centres. But the general consensus now is that he should be stuck to the bench after recent performances. I mean, it's not just the box score. It's his... It's his general play. I mean, he's, he's contributing very little. He's not grabbing boards. He's not diming. He's, no, no. he's not really affecting the play on either end. And it's, and it's pretty worrying because, you know, a starting centre, we gave a couple, I believe it was either two or three year contract to, is just, just not doing anything. And, you know, in that, in that aspect, you'd rather give the minutes to someone like Precious, who's a little bit raw. And even in this game, you know, four of 12 from the field. But he was contributing all through uh, the stat line. You know, he was diming. He was he was grabbing more boards. He was shoot, he shot a couple of threes as well. So I, th- I think that as well as Nick Nurse needs to look at his lineup and see, you know, 
this is still, I mean, although the Raptors are still, you know, have a good record, well over 500, it's still a... Kamel, I think uh, it seems like you just cut out there, but I, I think the point you made was excellent. Ken Butch is supposed to be there to be a big body who's able to somewhat slow down some of the less productive bigs in the league. He's there, so we don't have to double or triple team the big man on the opposing team every single time the ball gets into the post. But while Ken Birch has been playing, we've still had to double or triple team any time a big man gets deep post position. So if he's not doing that, I completely agree with you. He's not a good rebounder at all. He was giving up rebounds in the post to like 6-1-6-2 guards against, uh, against the Nets. Like, Precious Achua and Boucher are both better rebounders than him. So, if you're not rebounding, if you're not really um, having that impact defensively like we'd like you to have, and since he is an undersized centre as well, so he's not exactly altering um, players' shots when they come into the paint any more than, say, Boucher does, and if you're not, you know, if you're not even blocking people, like Boucher will actually block some shots yeah. in the paint as well. What like you're not? Yeah, I completely agree with you. You're not contributing what we would expect you to contribute. So, yeah, I. The thing is, Camille, he has been starting, but he's still in all his starts. He's had less minutes than both Boucher and Achuya anyway. So I think it is something that Nick Nurse recognizes. So, yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer there. No, it's a difficult one, and. I think I think going forward, you know, Van Vliet is is questionable for the next game. So once you have him back, you sort of have a bit more respite in that aspect. But I wonder what you think of Malachi Flynn going forward. You know, was he just there to plug that gap while Van Vliet was out? Or does now Nick Nurse trust him? I mean, he's commented in recent days over how during his garbage time minutes in, in January and February, Malachi was looking better. I mean, I would disagree generally. But because I mean, he rate him a little bit more and say he's fought for his place, and that's that's a Nick Nurse philosophy in general in terms of players fighting for minutes, and you know when he gets their chance, he gives them a few games to prove themselves. Do you think he'll you know start to see maybe fifteen twenty minutes off the bench from now after his recent performances when Van Vliet comes back? Absolutely excellent question, Camille, and I want to throw that straight back at you. How well, you I want to. I want Malachi. How do you think it would be for him after? really being relied upon in, in these games, to then go back to being a third string point guard, you know, behind Banton, for example, and averaging, you know, four, five, six minutes a game. Like, yeah, what, some, what, what do you think? It's something interesting you have to think about because Van Vliet and Matt Malachi are obviously built very similarly in terms of sort of that 5'11 point guard playmaking build. So when Van Vliet comes back, do you necessarily want to back him up with someone who is built exactly the same. Right, or right. you have a wild card like Banton who plays 10 minutes or so. Of course, it would be unfair on Malachi, but you would maybe understand it from a strategic and tactical point of view. Of right, Nick right, right. He might then relegate Malachi back and just play Ma- and just have Flynn for when Van Vliet is totally out of the game. So as much as I think right. maybe strategically, it's not the best option. And Kamel, when is Van Vliet completely out of the game? The guy who, what, averaging the most minutes in the league? Yeah, like... I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's one reason why you've got to kind of... I mean, are we are we hating on Goran Dragic on this podcast? Should we just clarify that? 
Because so forget I mean, about Goran. Forget about Goran. We left him behind when we left Slovenia. Forget about Goran. But if Look. he if he played, maybe Van Vliet wouldn't have got injured. Now who knows? It's, yeah, it's right. hypothetical anyway. Right. So what in in my eyes, Mel, I completely. I think we're kind of going towards the same direction here. I want Van Vliet not to be averaging the most yards ran in the league. I don't want him to be leading any of those like total sheets in terms of. You know how hard he's playing. Give give uh, Malachi 10, 15 minutes a game and play Van Vliet 30, 35 minutes a game, especially coming Hell back yeah. to injury. We're about to go into the playoffs as well. We want him to be healthy. We want him to feel re-energized, not feel like he has to carry this team every single night. No, I, I, I mean, I completely agree. And it just depends on Malachi's attitude once you get back to the bench. And because, of course, True. some players are better. They're almost like volume shooters, volume players. You know, they play better if they know they're out there for 30, 35 minutes. So yeah. that could be a factor as well, rather than coming on in bursts. But we'll see anyway going forward. I mean, the Raptors still over 500 despite losses. And you'll notice that we did skip over those two, uh, which I call preseason losses to uh, Charlotte and Atlanta. I mean, there's no need even to discuss them. Uh, we're going to chalk them up as friendlies. We're going to chalk them up as schedule losses, whatever you want. We're not discussing them. Uh, you can you can go over the box scores in your own time, uh, but going forward, um, tough stretch going forward, Kamel. Very tough stretch going forward. Yeah, but I mean, it's one that if you get through, you deserve to get in the playoffs, and if you don't, you weren't made for it. So let's Kamel, see how it goes. This, this next game against the Cavaliers, this is season defining, man. Is that this, is that in Toronto? Um, that is away from home, so right. it, it's going to be real bloody challenging, but. That could be the difference, like genuinely, because it's coming down right to the, you know, the uh, squeaky bomb time part of the season. That could be the difference between us scrapping, you know, for the eighth or ninth seed versus trying to push our way into, you know, the six, seven, five, six, seven seeds. So yeah, this next game is against the Cavaliers. So haven't looked too hot actually, despite how good some of their young players looked in All Star Weekend. They haven't looked too great. Um, uh, coming out of All-Star Weekend. So, yeah, this is a huge game for both teams. Yep. And, of course, luckily the tough stretch when the games are in Toronto, the finally, finally, a full crowd is back in the house. And, of course, I'm sure that will help the lads going forward. Uh, Varel, it's been a pleasure once again. Um, we're just going to keep going. I mean, it feels like the last five podcasts we've done, we've been sort of just hovering over 500, a couple of nervous losses, a couple of great wins. I think we're just going to carry on in that trend going forward until it's playoff time. But, Here's hoping. Let's see. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.